Today, I, I want to pick up where I left off last time and ask a critical question. How is that change going to come about? If God truly wants to do something new to make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to do something amazing, something entirely new, something explosive even here in our church, what is that going to take? What are we going to have to do to see that kind of miraculous change with our own eyes? That's a pretty good question, is it? Don't you think? I mean, if you think about it, most churches, the vast majority, get locked into patterns, and it's just the same old, same old, year after year, year after year. I mean, you have small changes, people come and go, and, you know, positive things, negative things, but it's basically the same kind of pattern, and churches get locked into those patterns. To break out of that kind of pattern and see something radically new happen is going to be the exception to the rule. But I believe God wants to do it. And so how is it going to happen? That's my topic this morning. I invite you to bow your heads with me just a moment. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us as we study our topic today. Father in heaven, we're asking a big question this morning. How can we have that change that you promised in your word that we looked at two weeks ago? Please make it simple and clear to our minds. We would understand exactly what you would have us to do. And I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we experience real change as a church? The kind of change that's going to transform not only our congregation, but our whole community around us. I'll tell you a couple of things that probably will not produce that change. One, it's not going to happen just by waiting for it. If we want to see real change, it's going to take action. We're going to have to make choices. We're going to have to take steps. We're going to have to move forward. We're going to have to do something different. Without action, there is no change. Amen? Another thing that you may think is the secret, but probably won't do it by itself, is just to pray for it. Now, I believe prayer is critically important. It's a necessary condition, but it's not a sufficient condition. In other words, prayer alone is not going to bring about change in our church, because Faith without works is what? Dead. Faith has to be combined with action. And when we have true faith, it's going to spark effort on our parts. And if we don't respond to that initiative to act, then the prayers are going to be probably futile. There's an old saying, pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on us. I don't know if that's true or not, but I kind of like it. So prayer alone is not going to create the change that we want, though it is absolutely essential. And I want to second that thought again. We need to be praying every day for God to work here in New Albany. There's another thing, probably just as important or even more important, that will not accomplish it. And that is plain old busyness. It's not just doing something. It's not just activity. That's not going to accomplish the change that God wants to do. We have to do the right thing. We have to do the correct thing. We have to get in tune with what God wants us to do. Because we can be busy till Jesus comes and we will never experience change. Unless it's the right thing. I understand what I'm saying. So what is it going to take? I'd like to suggest another key word. And that's the word purpose. Purpose. We need to wait, but we need to wait with purpose. We need to pray, but we need to pray with purpose. We need to act, but we need to act with 
purpose. It's only when our purpose is right that our waiting will be right, our praying will be right, our actions will be right. There has to be purpose. There's no way around it. It's super important. I first started to appreciate the importance of purpose many years ago when I was studying the Pauls of Prayer, uh, the prayers of Paul, rather. You may remember a, a notice that in many of his epistles, he starts with a prayer for the believers that he's writing to. And I started memorizing some of these prayers because I wanted to know how better how to pray for people. And I, two prayers in particular stood out to me because they were right next to each other, right next to each other in their books, and they were the exact same reference. One was in the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 and notice the words of this prayer. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 9. As I began memorizing these prayers, I noticed something that I had not observed before. This was many years ago, but this point has stuck with me all through these years. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 9, Paul says this, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in what? Knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things that are what? Excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And so this is one prayer that I was memorizing. The other one is the exact same verses, just the next book over in the book of Colossians. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Interesting, the numbers kind of play in my mind. I like numbers. Colossians 1, starting with verse 9, another prayer of Paul. For this cause we also, Colossians 1, verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with what? the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, and so on. Now, if you think about these two verses and start just analyzing them a little bit in terms of cause and effect, right? Notice the cause and effect in these two prayers. Philippians basically says, if we will grow more and more in knowledge and all judgment in our understanding of God's will, or you could say our understanding of God's purpose, right? If we will grow in purpose, we'll be able to approve things that are excellent, not just the things that are good. There's a lot of good things we can do, but we need to approve those few things that are the excellent things that are going to accomplish the purpose, right? That's the cause. If we will do that, then the result will be, will be filled with the fruits of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. So in other words, when we grow in purpose, that leads to transformation that glorifies God. What does it say in Colossians? Well, it's kind of the same idea, right? If we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, if we'd filled with a sense of purpose, we know what our purpose is, that's the cause, then what will be the effect? will be fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with Almighty, according to His powers. Then God's going to be able to work through us because we've come into alignment with His purpose. Do you see the, the cause and effect relationship in these prayers? In other words, to put it differently, Paul is not praying that they be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's praying that they be filled with purpose because he knows that when they're filled with purpose, they will have the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we just pray for the Holy Spirit for our own enjoyment. 
Lord, I want a better experience. I just want more of the Holy Spirit. Just help me to get through life a little better. And God's saying, no, those kind of prayers, it's important to pray for the Holy Spirit. But God is looking for men and women that are filled with purpose. And when he finds those men and women, then he will pour out his Holy Spirit and give them power. The only way we're going to experience explosive growth in this church is going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's no question about that. But the way that God pours out his spirit is he looks for men and women whose hearts are filled with his purpose. And when he finds those men and women, then he will automatically pour out his spirit. He will always supply the power you need to do his will every time you can count on it. So that's kind of my first point. Purpose precedes power. Purpose precedes power. Now, my wife and I, we pray for the Holy Spirit in our lives every morning, and that's important. But until our lives align with his purpose, those prayers are only going to have minimal effect. Once I actually noticed this principle, I saw it in other places as well. Go back to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Jesus had just ascended to heaven 10 days prior to the day of Pentecost. And they spent the next 10 days praying in that upper room. You remember the story, right? Yeah, have you ever wondered what it was they prayed for? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically in Acts chapter 2. But we do know that 10 days prior, just before Jesus left, he had given them an overwhelming assignment, right? It said you need to take the gospel to the entire world, the message that repentance and remission of sins is available through Jesus Christ. That needs to go to the, end, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm sure that those disciples in the upper room were thinking, the whole world, how are we going to get this job done? We don't have resources. There's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of us here. How are we going to do this, God? You have to show us how to fulfill your purpose. They were praying for purpose. And 10 days, day by day, they were coming into deeper alignment with God's purpose. If you read the book Acts of the Apostles, the chapter on Pentecost, you'll see an idea of what they were praying for. You'll see sentences like this. The disciples prayed with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men in their daily intercourse, to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. They're praying, Lord, help me be able to speak more effectively to share the gospel. The disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for the work of soul saving. Lord, make us into soul winners. We want to do your work, but we need power to do it. They were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world, and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. In other words, their prayers were focused on fulfilling the purpose, the work that God had given them to do. And what happened when they finally came into alignment with that purpose? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The day of Pentecost was come, fully come. They were all with one accord or one purpose in one place. They came into alignment of purpose. When they were finally fully aligned with God's purpose, what do we see happen next? Verse 2. Sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. God calls for men and women of purpose before he pours out his power into their lives. Does this make sense? By the way, in Acts chapter 4, just a couple 
chapters over, we see pretty much the same thing. Peter and John had been preaching in the temple. They had been arrested. They told not to preach anymore in his name. They had been beaten by the, the Pharisees. And as soon as they're released, what do they do? They go back to their brethren, and the first thing they do is they start praying. Now, in Acts chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, you actually have the words of their prayer. So we know what they were praying for. Verse 29, Acts 4, 29. Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They're saying, Lord, help us to do the work. Help us to fulfill our purpose. Give us boldness to preach like we're supposed to. They didn't even ask for the Holy Spirit. And look in verse 31. When they had prayed, a prayer of purpose, basically, when they prayed, the place was shaken and the, where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So purpose precedes what? Power, right? Purpose comes first and then that leads to power in our lives. If we want to see power for change in our church, we first have to come into an alignment with God's purpose. Amen? Well, how do we grow in purpose? That's a good question, too. Now, to be honest, this may be a little bit early for me to get into this topic. I'm just a brand new pastor. I'm looking at the time. Is that the right time? I'm going to keep going. This may be a little bit early to talk about this topic, but the older I get, I feel like time is just running out. <laughs> so I'm going to dive right in. If you want to grow in purpose as a church, there are two levers that drive purpose. Two levers. How many did I say? Two. Do you know what they are? The first one is mission. And the second one is vision. Now, before you are tempted to roll your eyes, oh, I've heard sermons on mission and vision before. Please give me a moment to explain what I'm talking about. I remember as a young Christian when that fad swept through all of our churches all over the country. Oh, you need to have a mission statement. Oh, you need to have a vision statement. And so we organized these little committees and they would get together and they would wordsmith some little statement trying to summarize. Oh, this is our mission. This is our purpose. They'd finally get that voted and then they'd paint it on the walls in the foyer or they'd put it in the bulletin. And this is our mission. This is our vision. And it didn't amount to a hill of beans. It didn't accomplish any change. You go back six months later, you ask them, what is your mission? What is your vision? No one even knows what it is, even though it's in the bulletin every single week. When I first came here, I thought, oh, New Albany, they are a smart church. They escaped this. It's not in their bulletin. It's not anywhere out in the foyer. It's not pasted on a plaque somewhere. You must have been smart enough to avoid that going down that road. But then I noticed in the directory. <laughs> By the way, does anyone know what your mission is or your vision? Anyone have it memorized? That's not what I'm talking about this morning. Let me give you my definition of what I mean by mission and vision. Our mission is simply the assignment that God has given us as a church to do. It's the work we've been given to do. We call it the Great Commission. And our vision is simply our strategy or our plan, our local strategy for how we're going to do it here in New Albany because it's different in every place. Now, if you want real purpose, both of these things have to be clear. We have to know what our work is and we have to have some idea how we're going to get it done. Mission and vision, the two levers that drive purpose. 
In other words, you don't make up a mission statement. Now, there's nothing wrong with writing out a summary of your understanding of what the mission is, but the mission is right here in the Word of God. The mission is given to us. We don't make it up. It was given to us by God. We call it the Great Commission. It's non-negotiable. We can't change our mission. Jesus is going into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them in all things whatsoever I've commanded you. This is our mission. It's not something that we choose or adopt. This has been given to us. And how long is this mission stay in force for God's people? Jesus said, Lord, I'm with you always to the end of the world. So this mission is our standing assignment to every church around the world. This is our work. We have no options about choosing any other mission. This is it. Now, we can write up a summary, make it inspiring, make it memorable. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But we need to know our mission is here in the Word of God. That's just a summary. That's all it is. It's the reason we exist as a church, to fulfill that mission. Now, the vision is very different. That takes into account our local context, the people that are a member of our church, the gifts, the, the abilities that we have, the finances we have, the facility that we have, the location where we are, the culture around us. It takes into account all of these different factors and it develops or, or comes up with a plan to actually fulfill the mission. And we have a vision. This is how New Albany is going to do the work. This is our vision for how to do it. It's a specific plan, a local plan. If you've got a lot of finances, you can do one thing. If you don't have many finances, you've got to have a different plan. If you've got a little tiny church with just a few retired members in it, you have to limit your plans to what you have available. If you've got a bigger church with a lot of young people, you can do something different. It has to take into the reality our context, our circumstances, and we develop a plan that we can fulfill here to accomplish the mission. It has to be aligned to the mission, or it's a bad plan. Amen? Amen? By plan, I'm not talking about, oh, let's plan an evangelistic series. That's a plan with a lowercase p. That's like just like one plan among many plans. What I'm talking about is something far more fundamental. I'm talking about an overarching strategy, a, a philosophy, a way that we're going to get the work done here in New Albany that guides everything we do. Something we're dead set on implementing as a church together to the very best of our ability. We, we're going to take that plan and we're going to push it to its limits. That's a plan with a capital P. You understand the difference? It's clearly not some pithy little word statement in our church directory. I mean, you can write something up to capture your plan. That's fine. But the, but the plan should be a well-detailed document that outlines exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And we have our, our, the way we're, we're going to assess our success and we're going to have goals and objectives and we're going to monitor things and we're going to be constantly working towards that plan. We're going to be implementing in everything we do. That's a, that's a different kind of plan. Amen? To quote an old proverb, he who aims at nothing is sure to hit it. <laughs> If we don't aim at something, I mean, our plan may not work perfectly, but if we don't at least try and do something, we're not going to accomplish anything. Or to quote Ellen White in the book Education, page 262, success in any line demands a definite aim. 
Our vision is our plan or the way that we aim to fulfill the mission here in this local church. Does this make sense? So to summarize briefly, if you want change, it's going to take purpose first. Purpose precedes, help me out, purpose precedes power. The two levers that drive purpose are mission and vision. Our mission is the work that we've been given by Jesus Christ. It's non-negotiable. It is the Great Commission. It's bottom line. That's what it is. Our vision is our local strategy to accomplish that mission. It takes into account all of our circumstances. Okay, let me give you a quick pop quiz. Number one, true or false? The mission is given. The vision is chosen. True or false? True. Our mission is given to us by God. The vision is our plan as we work together under the leading of the Holy Spirit, of course. But we seek God and we ask him to give us and we agree on something together. This is our vision. This is our plan. Question number two. The mission is global. The vision is local. True or false? Okay, you're getting, you're getting a pattern here, right? The, global, the mission is the same for every single church all around the world. It doesn't matter where you are, what context what time period you live in, the mission stays the same. But the vision is always tied to that local congregation. That's their plan to accomplish the mission. Question number three, the mission is primary, the vision is secondary. True or false? It's true. It's true. The mission is primary. If the plan doesn't fulfill the mission, it may be a great plan doing all kinds of things, but if it doesn't fulfill the mission, it's a bad plan. The vision has to be aligned with the mission. If the vision takes us down a different direction, it is a bad vision. The vision has to point us to the mission. And if the vision doesn't work, if it doesn't fulfill the mission, we need to change the vision, not the mission. Number four, I kind of gave you a clue to this one. The mission is changeless. The vision is transitory. True or false? Okay, they're all true so far. You're getting a pattern. Our mission was assigned by Jesus. It stands exactly the same until the return of Christ. Our vision changes. You get a new pastor, maybe things will change. You get new elders or let new officers have a new church board. Maybe they'll choose to go a different path. We try something that doesn't work. Maybe we get a big influx of money or maybe we get a new facility. Or Any kind of change can lead to a change in the vision, right? We're adapting as our circumstances change. So the vision changes, but the mission never changes. Last one, number five. The mission is invincible. The vision is not. True or false? Okay, if you got the pattern, then yes, this is true. I'm trying to make these easy for you. I know you don't like quizzes on Sabbath morning. Not every plan is going to work. And if it doesn't work, you just change it and do something different. You keep trying until you come up with a plan that fulfills the mission. If we get tied to a specific plan, we get emotionally invested in a specific plan and that plan doesn't work, that's when you get discouraged. And if people change it, then we get upset because it's, our plan is being, no, you cannot be tied to the vision. You have to be tied to the mission. The mission will not fail. Your plan may fail, but your mission will not fail. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. It's going to happen. 
John saw it in vision. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on earth to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. He saw it happen. The mission will succeed. Amen? Our vision doesn't always work. <laughs> I've tried a lot of things. They didn't all work. How'd you do on the quiz? You get all five? I hope so. Now we're going to come back to mission and vision another time. That's too big a topic to cover in one sermon. To be frank, developing a real vision is not easy. My last church, we worked at it for seven years. That church, that it was a process. It changed. We're constantly learning and growing and understanding more and more clearly what God's will is and how we could fill it. But I have to say, vision is important. I have I used to work live as an itinerant preacher. I visited a lot of churches all over this country. And I can count on one hand the number of churches that had a real vision for how to fulfill the mission and they were implementing in their local church. It's al that almost doesn't exist. But when you find a church like that that has a real vision aligned to our true mission, those are the churches that are growing by leaps and bounds and God is working miraculously because they have a plan and they are working at it. Amen? If we want to be one of those churches we have to be men and women of purpose. We have to know what our mission is and have a clear vision for how to fulfill that mission. It's just that simple. Now, we're going to have to find our own path. This church is different. Every church is different. Pastor doesn't lay out a plan. No, we figure it out together as a group. We're going to find out what that plan is as we go forward. It's going to take time. We will come back to this, I promise you. But I want to encourage us right now to start praying that God would give us a clearer sense of mission, a clearer vision for how to fulfill that mission here in New Albany, and that he would give us the purpose that we need that will result in power being poured out. Can we pray for that? You may wonder what in the world this has to do with the men of Issachar. I remember many years ago, I was a new Christian. There was a theory floating around. Maybe you've heard it, that every believer is assigned to like one of the 12 tribes. You've ever heard that theory before? Because if you look like in Revelation 7, you know, it seems like all the 144,000 are all 12,000 this tribe, 12,000 it. So it's like the idea was every believer is assigned to one tribe or the other. I'm almost done. Just two minutes. And if you go to Revelation 21, you describe there's 12 gates around the, the New Jerusalem. And every gate has a city, the name of one of the tribes. And so the idea was, well, once you know what tribe you're in, then you know which gate you go in and enter the city. Now, I never put too much stock in that theory. It seemed like a lot of speculation to me. But it did get me curious enough to study which of the 12, the, the, the 12 tribes and see if maybe one of them had some characteristic that I liked being a part of. And, uh, and I, so I started doing that, and I found this verse. That was our scripture reading. First Chronicles 12.32. Isabel read it for us this morning. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And when I read this verse, it just gripped me. Because this is the kind of Christian that I want to be. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. The Bible says, of the children of Issachar. And by the way, this is a long chapter of all these different groups that came to David as he was becoming more powerful as a king. And they're all aligning themselves. And it's just one, one verse in a long list of groups. But this one stood out to me. The, of the children of Issachar, which were men that had what? understanding of the times 
to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. I don't know what made this tribe different, or at least this group of leaders, these 200 leaders, but these men had discernment from God. They knew what their mission was as a people, and they knew exactly what to do in their given circumstances. They knew what Israel ought to do. They understood the times that they live in, lived in. And all the rest of their tribe had confidence in those leaders, and they were at their commandment. When the leader said, move, we're going to move together as a group. All of us, the whole tribe of Issachar, we're going to move together as a group. That's what we need today, isn't it? Men and women, leaders in our church that have understanding of the times that we live in and know what we need to do here in New Albany. And then when, when our leaders say, this is the direction we're going, all the church comes together and say, we are at your commandment. We will do the work. Friends, I believe Jesus is coming soon. I can't say it enough. I mean, we hear it. It just goes in one ear out the other, but it cannot do that anymore. It has to find a lodging place in our hearts. The Lord is coming soon. And we need leaders with a clear sense of mission and vision. We need to be men and women of purpose. Because when we have purpose, our church will have power. And when there's power, there will be change. Amen? I always like to end with a short appeal. Just to give people a chance to respond. Not to me, but to God, right? God is speaking to us, I believe, through his word. I believe the Lord is saying, I want my people to be like those men of Issachar all those years ago that had understanding of the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. I want men and women with a sense of mission, with a sense of vision. I want men and women of purpose. If you hear God saying that to you, can I see your hand? Just raise your hand for a moment. I want men and women of purpose. I want my people to be filled with purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. Lord, you have a plan. You've given us a work to do. We don't know exactly what that work is. We're trying different things. But Lord, I pray you would make that plan crystal clear to us. That you would help us to be persistent in pursuing a true sense of purpose here in New Albany. Something would grip this church and we would be able to move forward like a mighty army to finish your work. Lord, I'm praying you would do it, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.